This is Light Up, episode number three. Today, I sit down for a powerful conversation about community, education, and equality with Michael Warren. He's a music teacher and the director of choir in the Avonworth School District. He's got a master's in education, and he's pursuing his doctorate. He's a beautiful singer and musician who's performed with Hamilton's Leslie Odom Jr., and he's working on a brand new album. You won't want to miss this, so let's get started. Welcome to Light Up, a positive conversation for purpose-driven people ready to light up their lives. I'm your host, Pittsburgh filmmaker, photographer, content creator, and entrepreneur, Shannon Chavez. Friends, it's Shannon here, and joining me today is the most incredible person. He's a talented musician, a passionate educator with the kindest heart, and he's the brightest light in the room wherever he goes. I am so excited to welcome today's guest, my friend Michael Warren. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Shannon, I'm just glad you invited me, and you were so kind, I must say. <laughs> All the you, you talked me up, but honestly, I'm just, I just enjoy being me, you know, but seriously, thank you for your kind words, and it's good to be here with you. It's good to see you, as always. You realize our paths have been connecting since 2004. It is crazy. 2004. I'm so glad that you had the year, because mm -hmm. that really puts it into perspective it how does. long it's been. <laughs> um, we went to... Rogers Kappa mm -hmm. together, middle school. Mm -hmm. I was in seventh grade when mm -hmm. you started in sixth grade. Yep. And we have just been able to kind of keep in touch over these years, and I am so glad that we could. Absolutely. Um, we both went on to study at Duquesne University. And the funny part about that, I was not at Duquesne first. I was at Geneva, but my first day on campus, you happened to be sitting outside one of the buildings, and I was like, that is Shannon. I didn't even realize that was your first day. Because I had just transferred here, yeah. I had just come back. Mm -hmm. And Michael, I've never run into you where you didn't have a smile on your face, and oh, you are man. just one of the most positive and energetic people that I know, and I just appreciate you doing this because you're Absolutely. a busy man. You are just so purpose-driven and you are constantly working towards your goals and you're doing so much. So before we really dive into our conversation, yeah. I just want you to take a minute and just introduce yourself. Who is Michael Warren? So Michael Warren, who is he? Who am I? I am, I'm a happy person. I will say, I used to joke, I'm too happy-go-lucky sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm a music teacher. I am a educator, period. I'm a musician, um, I'm a black man, a proud black man, which I like to highlight always, especially in today's climate and considering all that's going around in the world. You know, I hope to be one of those people that when you see me, you, you literally just see a nice person. Um, unfortunately, that's not going to be my reality, you know, because people always see the color of my skin, but I want to be the reason why they see people like me differently, why they see us not as a threat, but as a lover as someone who wants to help promote good in this world, you know, and so I, aside from all the hats that I wear, whether it's through education, whether it's through the church, whether it's through the music, music that I do, you know, I'm a proud black man who wants to live in this country free. Unfortunately, may not be the case right now, you know, and I have my own fears, but I'm someone who will fight to the death of me, making sure that people will walk this earth, A, with their love, not going unrequited, and B, not being judged by the color of their skin, but as Martin Luther King said, by the content of their character. And so I hope to be one who offers a lot um, with who I am. So all that to say, I'm just me. <laughs> Michael, and you really do embody all of those things. Um, I am just so proud to know you and so lucky to know you. And I really appreciate you touching on those things because that is such an important thing that's going on in our country, our world right now. We're going through a lot of changes. And um, as someone who is an educator and someone who is studying and focusing on justice mm -hmm. um, for all, for all people, what advice can you give to some people who maybe don't have that knowledge or background. Um, 
How can we start to educate ourselves on some of those injustices that are happening in our, our, our justice system in our country? Absolutely. I think the first step for everybody is to understand that it is okay to listen and listen knowing that you won't have an answer to something. You know, a lot of people, they want to, you'll, I might share my story and the first thing people do is while listening, they'll interrupt to say, oh, that didn't happen or oh, I can't believe that happened. Stop. Take a moment. Hear what I'm saying, right? And then the second thing is understand that it may not have happened to you, but some of these things do actually occur. And so now you have to step outside of your own shoes and really, really, really empathize with people and understand that, wow, um, I've never experienced, you know, racial profiling because I'm white. But to hear the stories of my black friends or my friends of color, this clearly must be occurring. Right. And so the first step to, you know, even moving in a just world is by understanding that A, this stuff exists, but you won't know it unless you're willing to listen and then empathize with them. Right. Um, then be, uh, you know, understanding that you can play a part and playing a part doesn't mean changing the world and, you know, revamping the justice system, because unfortunately, I don't think it's ever going to happen even in my time. But being a part of the change and the just that this world needs to see has to do with speaking up when you see it happening. Right. Or being willing to say, hey, you know, highlighting the positives versus the negatives that people like say, like we turn on the news and you'll hear about all the black people being shot. Unfortunately, problem is this this city ain't even made up of mostly black people and there are other people being shot. But the news portrays one thing. Right. So I have friends who choose to highlight some of the positive things that Michael Warren is doing and people see Michael Warren and then they see that he's black. So now their assumption of a black man has been countered with the reality of who Michael is, right? And it's because someone took an opportunity to tell my story, whatever that might mean, right? And so, you know, how do we move forward? How do we become just? How do we, how do we act, especially if you're not a person of color and you're not experiencing these things? It's just, it's so simple, but it's so complex. It really starts with listening and understanding that I don't know everything but because of my love for you, because of my want to be in relationship with you, I want to learn so that I can do better, so that I can learn how I can take, a, you know, really ownership of my part. And also, we're going to bring people forward with this work later on. So you'll be able to one day share these things with your kids, and that's helping you advance this work, right? Me, I'll be able to share these things with my students, and that's going to help me advance this work. You'll be able to share these things with your neighbors. Maybe they see someone, and you can tell them, don't fear him because he's walking down the street in black. But instead, you know, approach him and say hello because he's a neighbor just like someone else, right? And these are the things that people can do, allies can do, without necessarily ending racism. Because the reality is we probably won't, but we actually do have a shot at making some significant changes. And that has to do with starting with listening, understanding we don't know everything, and then taking ownership of our role as allies and figuring out what that might mean. So, Michael, I don't even know where to begin following up with that. Um, you just provide so much wisdom and knowledge to so many people. And I have ha already had the honor of learning and hearing a lot of your story. And the honor of sharing that story um, through a film that we worked on together last year that we put together uh, for the Pittsburgh Promise. Um, and the thing about it that really is just so crazy and that surprised me, I had no idea all of the struggles that you had gone through in your life when we were in school together, back in middle school and through high school. And even when we reconnected in college, um, I had no idea all of the things that you'd gone through because you have always had that smile on your face. And I think that one way that you really are changing the world, um, it's through sharing your story and through connecting and, and just building a community. You have so much community and you are just so willing to share what you know and what you've learned over the years, um, your experiences to help others get further ahead. And I just appreciate that you have done that, um, that you've shared your story with me. But I do want to give you this opportunity just to touch on some of those maybe uh, negative experiences and those struggles that you really had to go through in your past um, and how you've, you've chosen to really just overcome those and to keep that positive right. attitude and to keep moving forward. Right, and so I, I'd even ch uh, challenge the concept of a negative experience and use it as more of a learning opportunity or a learning experience. I think I've been through so many learning experiences in my life, you know, from being in multiple foster homes, 
to having been adopted finally, to having been in a failed adoption in, at 17, to having gone back into the foster care system, battling medical issues, um, battling uh, where am I going to stay, battling homelessness. You know, I've dealt with a lot of those things, but that's ultimately what has helped shape and mold me into the Michael that I am today. You know, I didn't walk around smiling because my life was perfect. As a matter of fact, it was far from perfect. But because of those learning experiences that I had and those learning opportunities, I walked around smiling that something better had to come. <laughs> right. And so there's a funny um, there's like a story uh, they talk. It's, it's a kind of weird sick story in a way, but they talk about a funeral. Um, a mother had passed away. And at the funeral, she said, when I die, bury me with a fork. And the concept of being buried with a fork didn't really sit well with a lot of people. And they were kind of wondering, why would she want that, right? And so I guess during the eulogy, as they were getting ready to bury her and send her on home, um, they finally said, you might be wondering why she said, bury me with a fork. And the concept was that something better was coming. It's like having dinner finishing your plate but saying save the fork because you know dessert is on the way right and so the same I had that's a spiritual way to look at it but like even for me personally I was just hoping that hey this has this I know this isn't the best that life has to offer I'm waiting for that dessert I'm waiting for the sweetness that's going to come and so I walked around smiling because oh man that didn't feel really good but I know something better is coming oh my goodness I don't know why they did that but I can't wait to what's coming next you know I had that I had to. <laughs> you know, Michael, that optimism is just something that's so rare to see, especially in someone who had gone through so many struggles and hardships and not really having family there to kind of encourage you to keep moving forward and to keep that optimism. So right. I, you make it sound so easy. How did you keep that positive outlook? How did you know that something more was out there? Right, so to answer the question, I want to first start with saying, you're right, I didn't necessarily have family there helping me. In the literal sense, I didn't have my mom and dad and siblings, but I had family, people who, and I always say this, family is a choice. Loving people is a choice. I had a family of people who knew that while he may have nothing to offer me, I choose to offer him everything I have. And so I look at people like my music teacher, Mr. Biggs, who always showed me that there was more to come. I look at people like my pastor, who's the councilman, Ricky Burgess, who always gave me an opportunity, whether it was using my gifts with my singing voice and my playing, or whether it was giving me an opportunity to sit in the pulpit as I wanted to learn to become a preacher at one point, right? Or in many cases, it was my music community, people who would give me a chance to come out on a Saturday and just play at a gig or play for a wedding. Or I look at people who, when I was in high school, would travel church to churches on buses with me we would get on the port authority bus and go from downtown to braddock braddock back to downtown and then from downtown maybe to the north side sometimes we'd walk from the school and they would just gig with me i had no money to give them but they wanted to be around me because of the experience and we had fun we really did but to me those were the family members who showed me that there is something better out there right so then you look at people who and I always share people who struggled before me because I, I, one thing I've learned, as much as I've struggled, my struggle isn't the worst. It certainly isn't the least worst. It won't be the first struggle and it unfortunately won't be the last struggle. And so what I've found was how can I hold on to some other stories of hope and use those to motivate me and encourage me? So I've, I've talked about my family that has been made up of people who chose to be there. But then I also looked at people who maybe I didn't know and I relied on their stories to help get me through. I relied on, especially with this weight loss journey, I relied on people who, on Instagram, there was a guy who had a son. And then from having a son, he realized the life that he was living, he would never see his son grow up at that same pace. So he decided to lose the weight. That story motivated me to want to lose weight, right? I looked at my mom's passing and I realized she wasn't the healthiest person. And everything she believed that I would do, even though she didn't raise me, she believed that I could be something great. But I would never be able to honor what she wanted from me if I wasn't alive to do it. So it encouraged me to lose weight. Going to school and getting my degree, I recognize that a lot of kids like music, but a lot of kids don't want to be in a choir class, right? So how do I have an impact on more students at a larger scale? Well, maybe by 
learning to be a principal so that way I can hire the teachers who impact those kids. Maybe by being a professor who goes into the classes and teaches future teachers to be teachers, right? So my big thing was I always knew somehow that there were other things out there. And it was because I was willing to step outside my comfort zone, talk to people, learn from people. I had to allow people to love me. I also had to allow people to hurt me because I wasn't optimistic just because I was hoping for better things. I was optimistic because there was no way in the world, I was almost realistic in my opinion, that there was no way it could get any worse. <laughs> You've really used those role models and those mentors in your life to your advantage. And I think um, you have just become a role model and a mentor to so many. Uh, talk a little bit about the kids that you serve and how you found that calling and that passion to educate um, and to, to really just help other kids all kids, but especially those kids that might be disadvantaged. Absolutely. So first of all, so like when I think of my role as a teacher, I, I, I understand now and I've learned that it goes beyond the classroom. And so on one hand, while I'll address how my students feel, I've accepted the fact that I have an impact on kids. I won't even say kids, young adults, people who I've watched grow up. So I think of one of my friends from Kappa has a sibling who reached out to me. And I thought it was a, first of all, I thought it was a scam because it didn't make sense at first. But then I realized, no, this person literally said, I've been watching you for years. Can you help me? And it spoke to me in a way that was humbling because it reminded me that there's someone always watching you. So you have to be mindful of everything that you do, everything that you say, every, the way you go about it. Number, number one. Number two, it showed me that there are people who see your story as a way to help them overcome certain things. And you have a platform where you can take advantage of that. So like that was one opportunity where I realized I was a teacher outside of the classroom and I was with a friend. Then I have a really close friend who he also went to Duquesne with me. And he one day literally just said, teach me how to play the piano. And he could play a little bit. So I took him under my wing and did to him what someone did to me years ago. I gave him $100 a week. And I said, all right, play this chord work on this. I started even writing a book at one point and I was making him my first you know, beneficiary of the book so that he could learn certain musical concepts, right? So then when it transfers to the classroom, I realized just like I can have a positive impact with my friends, my family, people I grew up with, I can do the same thing with not just black kids, which was my only hope. I only wanted to have an impact on black kids' lives. But then I realized I want to have an impact on all lives, right? Now, that is not to say, you know, because hearing myself say that, I almost laugh because I hear the black lives matter, all lives matter. I believe all lives matter, period, hands down. The reason why my focus coming into education was black lives was because they were the ones who were being shorted when it came to the educational gap. They were the ones who, out of high school in many cases, they had a direct path line to the prison system. They're the ones who, while we don't represent most of this country, they represent most of the incarcerated in this country. That's a problem. So coming into this field, I knew that I wanted to have an impact on black lives. But learning that, in order for me to truly have an impact on black lives, especially when I teach in an all-white district, I had to have an impact on all lives, right? I came into a school where there weren't that many black kids. And just because a kid was black didn't mean they took well to me. And so I had to show that I was someone period, who loved people, who was willing to teach, teach music, teach life, teach skills, right? And so I found a way, and there's a kid that I think about right off the bat. He was in seventh grade. He was a pain in you know what. And I remember being there my first week and this kid skipped my class. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. He thought I was another teacher. So he decided not to come. And I was like, dude, you're a kid. How dare you not show up? And from that day, he was just coming in, being nasty, being mean. And one day I decided, you know what? You want to be that way in my class and waste my time? You're going to stay with me during lunch, and we're going to talk through this. So I held him back in a group of about five other boys who were just disruptive. And I started randomly because I knew it would get to them. I knew they wanted to go to lunch, but they wasted my time. So now I decided I'm going to waste their time. What did I do? I started talking to them about life. I was like, how's your life? <laughs> Tell me about your family. <laughs> Tell me about your siblings. And they're like, Mr. Warren, shut up. You should be a therapist. Oh, it was hilarious. <laughs> and so as I'm talking, the one kid who gave me the most trouble, who I thought would be bothered by this, wasn't. So when I told the kids, all right, now that I've wasted enough of your time, you all go back to lunch, this kid stood up and said, 
can you ask me another question? And I was like, what? Dude, no, seriously, go to lunch. I actually am hungry. I want to have my own time. And he says, no one asks me questions at home. I didn't know that his mom and his dad had been divorced. You know, that he was going through some situations at home. And then he came to school and he acted out because it was the only way people would notice him. It was negative attention, but it was the only way people noticed him. From that moment on, I reminded myself, because it was, it was a reminder to me and I had to really remind myself, you didn't get in the field to teach black kids. You got in the field to teach kids. You want to have an impact on the black kids' lives, but do not let that take away from the fact that there are other kids who just want to feel loved, want to feel like someone cares about them. So when this little kid told me that, I was like, you know what? Tell me about your sister then. You know, and I started talking about a sibling. Then we start, then he shared all these things. From that day, and it went on for about four months, he came to my room for lunchtime. I only had this kid for a month. Then they switched rotations, but he kept coming to my lunchroom. It was so funny that after kids noticed he was coming down, he didn't want it to come off as if he was enjoying his time in my room. So he would tell people he had lunch detention in the choir room. And I said, why are you lying? Just tell them you like Mr. Warren and you want to come down in the classroom. Because he didn't want it to, he was the bad kid. So he wanted to stay that, but I told him, I'm like, dude, you're not bad. Michael, you just amazed me. And if more people were like you in the world, this place would just be so much better. And you really are changing the world one life at a time. And I just admire you so much. That is my hope. That is my hope. Because, you know, and I always say this, if I could talk to that little boy right now, and 10 years from now, he moves to California. Let's just make that up. Moves to California and going through something and then he shares something then, what I shared with him back when we were younger, my hope is that my message would travel to that person in California. Now they've heard a word from Mr. Warren, even though I wasn't their direct teacher. Let's say they were only there visiting and then they go back home to somewhere in Europe. And then they share something that they heard from my former student that he heard from me back in 2019. Now, this message that I shared with one kid traveled to California and then back to Europe. And now we're literally changing the world one person at a time. And I'll, my only hope was to have an impact now. And then one day I'll leave this earth and then hopefully that impact will continue. And that's, that's what my hope is. It will, Michael. You've already accomplished so much and you aren't done yet. Yeah. You are, keep, you are right. still going and you are constantly working to, to make a difference. Um, I just want to highlight a little bit more of those accomplishments mm. because we really did just kind of get right into the nitty gritty mm. here. We totally dove right into this conversation yeah. and I love it. But I think we kind of missed that chance at the start yeah. of this to really introduce uh, the accomplishments that you've had mm. in your education, in your career, um, in your musical career. Mm. Uh, just over the winter, I actually got to take your photos um, to make the album art mm. for uh, your Christmas album. Mm. You are a talented singer and pianist, musician. Um, you you ha didn't have the easiest time, you know, earning that bachelor's degree from right. Duquesne. Um, you went on to receive a master's in one year, and now you're working towards your doctorate. Uh, just tell me a little bit more about your education and, you know, just how you, how you did it all. So first of all, I hated school, and quite frankly, I still question how I feel about school. <laughs> and I can go on and on about how the education system was formed, but I won't do that for the sake of not boring people. But after Kappa, you know, I went to Geneva because it was a place to get off of camp, it was gave it gave me a place to get leave the city because I was going through foster care, and I could be on campus, meet new people. But something told me that wasn't the place for me. After I dropped out the first time, came back. I dropped out the second time. My mom died. I got sick. wasn't going back to school. But something said Duquesne, Duquesne, Duquesne. They rejected me two times, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. And then finally, I went down and I shared some of my story, and they admitted me. And it was the end of July beginning of August when they finally admitted me and classes started at the end of August. I was there for two months and then found out that I needed a major surgery. I ended up missing two months of school and I was disappointed because I thought I'm going to have to drop out again. Finished that semester with a 3.7 and I couldn't believe it because first of all I had never seen anything that high. <laughs> I graduated high school with like a 1.9. Really? So, oh, oh my, my goodness. It was, oh, okay. You seemed like you loved school. 
because I love seeing you in the hallways. You were always dancing and singing mm -hmm. and smiling, and like you seemed like you loved it. I was a social person. Like I was that kid who would go to school, give the teacher hell, and then at the end tell him, "Hey, have a great day." And you know, I hope <laughs> and I see everyone still loved you. You know, and that's what it was. But unfortunately, my grades did not show. Okay. You know, and so I was not a. I even mean, it wasn't one nine. It was a two nine. Um, and the reason why I know that is because of Pittsburgh Promise, actually. I qualified technically for the Promise because I had a high enough GPA. Anywho, once I got through that first semester, I realized you can actually do this. So I went through three years, and I struggled a lot. But when I finally came close to graduation, I was like, man, you literally did that thing. And I, was, I had no interest in going to get a master's because I didn't need it. I knew I was going to be able to teach. I was going to be good to go. Well... My girlfriend at the time was interested in getting the master's, and she was like, you know, what's the harm? At least apply. And I was like, well, one, I'm broke. <laughs> Two, I hate school. Then I found out, oh, crap, I would love to be an administrator one day. Did my administration pro um, program one year, you know. Before I got to that program, though, I had traveled to Europe um, and went and sung in Bulgaria, which was an incredible week-long experience. I got to go, and it was a fundraiser for um, an orphanage in Bulgaria, which was a beautiful experience, especially considering my background. Um, came back two months before graduation, one campus superstar. <laughs> At this point, I felt like, oh, snap, I feel like my luck is turning. Yes. I'm going to try to do everything I can. That's when I applied for the master's program. They accepted me, and then... They paid for the program. I was like, you know what? How much more can I get? Well, they didn't pay for everything, but I ended up getting hired in Pittsburgh, and they paid for a lot of my program, which was great. I didn't decide to apply for my doctorate, um, which I'm working on now in educational leadership with the focus of social justice. Um, recently, I was named Duquesne Duke of the Decade, which is for the top Duquesne students in the past 10 years to graduate and I was nominated for two schools. I was the only student to be nominated by two different programs, the School of Music and the School Education of Education. The ceremony was scheduled for June 19th of 2020, but due to COVID, it's being postponed till next year where I'll be honored. I also received the Young Gifted in Black Award, which is given to young uh, uh, people, black people in the city of Pittsburgh under age of 40, I believe it is. Um, based on their work and their commitment to their community. Um, and then I was named in February the Project Hope Fellow, which is an organization dedicated to research for homeless youth. And so I've actually been in charge of gathering a literature review. And then on Tuesday, I'll present some of my findings to a panel to discuss ways that we as people in the field of education can help students who were like me who experienced homelessness while in school. And then finally, I was nominated for the Jackson Scholar Award, which is awarded to doctoral, uh, master or doctorate level students focused on research in justice areas. So it's been a lot going on. Um, and honestly, I always say it, I don't know why they chose me. <laughs> I just literally want to do my part. Like I feel like it would suck to come to work every day make all the money in the world, but be unhappy and have no impact. You know, I asked this question in my class. I said, would you rather make all the money in the world and be wealthy, rich, and have no impact on someone's life, or would you rather struggle day to day but know that you're changing the world? And it's a real question, because think about it. For someone who has no financial stability, it might be a whole lot easier to say, give me all the money. But I knew that's just not going to be me. And one of my favorite scriptures what profits a man to gain the world and lose his soul? I don't want to be that guy who gets all the riches, all the fame, has no impact, doesn't give back to society, doesn't do anything, and then, like, I can't live like that, you know? So I always say, what, why me, why me? I'm humbled, I'm honored, I am. But I'm also, in my mind, I'm thinking, why aren't there more people out there doing this? Like, there should be a ton of us, and we shouldn't need an award to drive us to do these things. No, and Michael, you are just proof that even when it seems like there's no hope, even when things are so hard, when you keep going, there is so much good to come from that and that you, you just always have to have your, sets, your sights set on something better. And I think when you lead with a heart of service like you do, good things are bound to happen and good opportunities are bound to present themselves. Um, I know that even though, you know, we just kind of talked about 
all the money in the world can't make you happy. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you are someone who is still working towards building financial security for yourself Absolutely. because you see and you've seen in the past how you do need money to live mm -hmm. um, and to, to succeed. But at the heart of why you want to be financially stable, it's because you want to be able to give back. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about how you want to give back. So I'll tell my wife and I were walking in um, Sheridan one day, actually in Crafton, and there's a, uh, there are not townhomes, what are they called? Mobile homes or trailer park homes. And I said, oh my goodness, I wish I could own my land and buy a bunch of these. And she looked at me, why? I'd never want to live in those. Cause, and it, I laughed and I was like, well, I'd buy that for the same reason why I always wanted to be a bus driver. I'd want to house as many people as I can and I'd want to pick up people on the bus take them to and from places without charging them. You know, I just want to be in a position to where I have so much so that I can give back. You know, I don't need, we come, my wife and I come from two different worlds. She grew up in a beautiful home and I'm not taking anything away from her. I grew up sharing a very small bedroom with a bunk bed. When you walked in, the bed was right on your right and the dresser was right on your left and directly in front of you was a window. It was not that large, but you had enough room to sleep. She comes in where this beautiful living room was the size of her walk-in closet. So we were on different levels. But I told her, if I could own this lot with all these trailer park homes, there wouldn't be people living out on the street, especially people I know. Or how do we find a way to fund a system to where folks could at least at night have a meal and something to eat, right? We look at the amount of money that we fund police uh, police organizations, the amount of money we fund private prisons, right? It, the amount of money we fund the military. If we were to just even, if, I mean, a small fraction cut back and then decide today we're going to end world hunger, we could do it in a sense. We could end people starving, especially kids at night in Chicago. We could end the people downtown who sleep outside the point. We see the point as a beautiful place. Yet I remember being in Capo when we would go on our walks and being told not to talk or not to touch the people who were living under there, right? But if I had money in the world, all the money in the world, Bill Gates kind of money in the world, I wouldn't be sitting here making sure I live in this big, big mansion where I have to hire a staff just to maintain it. I'd live in a small house in Sheridan. And then I'd say, build me a group of homes around me and let's bring in people, house these people, find ways to get these people jobs because, hey, guess what? They are people, not homeless people. They're people who need a home, who need assistance, who need some help. And so you give me all the money in the world, I'm going to turn around and give it right back. That's why my wife and I, we don't see eye to eye. We joke. She laughs at how much I tithe sometimes. And I told her, if it wasn't for my wife, honestly... I'd be the guy, we'd have no money, but I'd see everybody else smiling. And I'm glad, like, she balances me. Trust me, I get that. Because you do need money. But I also know that, like, I don't want to be that person who leaves this earth with a fat bank account and can't do anything with it. Because you're gone. Michael, <laughs> oh my goodness, you are just... You're just so inspiring and I am so happy that we've just had this chance to sit down and to really just talk about what drives you um, because I think that when we do have these conversations we can all start to just open up our our minds to new ideas um, I love that you have just touched on so many of those those misconce misconceptions that some of us have about the homeless, mm -hmm. um, about the black community. Mm -hmm. um, could you just maybe share a story? Um, and as much as I want this podcast to be something that's positive, mm -hmm. um, I think so much good comes from the bad. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have that contrast. Mm -hmm. So talk about something that was just a really rough experience for you when you were dealing with that homelessness as a kid um, and someone who you just who could have used some help mm -hmm. well so first of all when I was at Duquesne in my second year um, I had aged out of the system which is what officially made me homeless I wasn't staying on campus I didn't have a foster home technically I remember getting a list of homeless shelters to look into and all the while I was trying to prepare for finals <laughs> and it just didn't sit well with me that unfortunately as much as I wanted to see Duquesne as a Catholic university who was about uh, love and community and family I, you know they also wanted to make sure a their money was there on time and b that I was doing enough to pass 
you know, and when I reached out and just said, hey, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, you know, there wasn't much that anyone was able to do, which bothered me. So when I finally reached out to the father of the campus, um, Father Hogan, he was like, listen, we'll let you stay on campus for the summer. You know, you won't have to pay and we'll help you get a job. You'll have to buy your own food. As bad as that was, here's what I took from that. And here's what I hope people take from that. I didn't ask anyone for any gimmicks. I didn't need for any handouts. I didn't need anyone to fix my situation. I needed an opportunity to get on my feet. This man gave me literally a dorm room for three months and got me in the door for a job. I worked that job like there was no tomorrow. Those people loved me. I worked it so well that when we went back to school, they didn't give me student hours. They kept me with full-time hours because they said my work from the summer was good enough. So while, though I had to pay to stay on campus, I knew that having housing in the summer took something off my plate. I had the job. Now in the spring, fall time, I have a job. I'm temporarily in campus housing, but I'm paying for it. But it gave me a chance to figure out some other things. So I found out about Action Housing. That's when I found out that they were literally building a place for young people who were homeless around the corner from campus. Oh, you best believe I was on that phone. And the moment I got on that phone, they were telling me, we're more than just housing, we're more than just housing. And I kept telling her, I just need housing, I just need housing. But it gave me a moment to realize that if you just give me an opportunity, if you just extend your hand, if you just open the door, I can put in the work. Some of us are willing to put in the work. Most of us are willing to put in the work. We just need a chance, you know? And so while, yes, it was a bad experience, to me, again, I don't see them as hurtful or, you know, bad experiences. I see them as learning opportunities and learning experiences because that, once he said yes, and even though I was homeless and trying to get through finals and I was struggling bad, I had a job finally. I had a temporary housing, which was, you know, in St. Anne's, and it was only for three months. You know, I paid for my own food. I ate out every day, but at least I was eating, right? And then it led me to Action Housing, which I ended up living with for two and a half years until I got hired by Avonworth. You know, people don't realize I'm going into year four at Avonworth. Year one at Avonworth, I had just transitioned out of assisted living, which was crazy. And a lot of my students don't even realize that. You know, but I hope to be that beacon of hope, that beacon of light, that one that reminds them that, yeah, it wasn't looking really pretty, but someone gave me an opportunity. And where I challenge people is this. If you're someone who's in my shoes, take advantage of those opportunities. But if you're someone in the other shoes, the people who are offering, don't be afraid to lend opportunities to people in need. And it goes way deeper than just giving some money. It goes way, sometimes it's as simple as saying, hey, here's an application. It's worth looking into. Let me know if I can help. Let me know if you need a reference. Hey, here's $5 for a sandwich. Yeah, that goes a long way. But, you know, and it sounds so cliche, but, you know, teach a man to fish. That proverb, I don't want to eat just for today. Teach me how to eat for a lifetime, right? And so what I've learned is there are many people who have an opportunity, who are at the table. Some are at the table serving. Some are at the table just there to eat. Some are at the table just to make sure it stays set well, right? Where no matter what your role is, understand, like, take ownership of your role. And it's okay. Like, if I invite someone to the table, it's because I'm inviting them to eat, which means I'm willing to serve. You know, a lot of people will just look down and won't offer. Again, bad experience, yes, but it was a learned opportunity. And now I get to see, hey, anyone in my shoes, I challenge you to take advantage when people give you an opportunity but anyone in the opposite shoes, be open to lending those opportunities. Because I think I shocked a lot of people when I came out on top. And I bet you there are a lot of other people who can do the same thing. They're just waiting for a chance. I, oh my goodness, Michael, you, this is just so powerful. And this is really why I started this show. Um, I just really wanted to have this opportunity to sit down and to learn from people. Um, you are just so inspiring. And you use your story and your voice so much to help others. Um, I think a lot of the time we take things for granted, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a home, education, mm -hmm. the people in our lives. 
I am all about the power of gratitude, and I know that you uh, you are as well. Um, what are just some of the things in your life that you are the most thankful for? And I just want to know a little bit about how that power of being thankful for things that you do already have has helped you to get further ahead. So first of all, I'm thankful for, you know, my faith. Um, I'm thankful for, you know, I dedicated my life to Jesus Christ in 2006. And it was the best decision I ever could have made. Because while I believe I went through a lot of this on my own, I was never truly alone. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I'm grateful for people like Mr. Biggs, Henry L. Biggs, who was my music teacher. The best. I miss him. And I gave that man a hard time. <laughs> I, I'll say that nicely. I'll smile when I say that. But Mr. Big said to me that he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so no matter how much damage I was willing to do to myself, he was willing to do the undamaged work to make sure that I was okay so I wasn't ruining my life, right? And so he was the first person that offered me a church job. He was the first person that offered me an opportunity to direct the choir. I got two directing awards because of him. Um, Mr. Biggs is the one that taught me how to drive. He picked me up in his Nissan Maxima the burgundy beautiful car that I loved and he would take me driving and he didn't yell at me and his reason for not yelling was because I'm more afraid than you are <laughs> but I'm grateful because Mr. Biggs wasn't my dad Mr. Biggs had his own son but he tr I, you wouldn't know the difference if you had seen us at a picnic because you would have thought I was his the way he loved me the way he took, him, took care of me the way he provided for me. But he was never one to just give answers. He made me work. It was annoying at times. A lot of times. Like, you couldn't have a regular conversation with him. Because I'm like, I, I, I say a lot of slang. I'm real chill. And he'll correct me with the proper way. And I'm like, I don't hear that. No, Michael. It's, I don't want to hear that. And I'm thinking, do you leave me alone? <laughs> you know? But I'm grateful for him. You know? And I, I mention him in all my bios. I mention him in any article, any interview I've done. Because I believe wholeheartedly that if it weren't for him in sixth grade, I wouldn't be at this point. You know, right now I'm grateful for my wife. The first year of marriage was way hard. Hard. But one thing I learned, and it seems shallow, but it's not. Um, the fact that my, my wife loved me as big as I was, <laughs> I laugh and I say, she must have really loved me for me. Because I'm going to paint the picture. I'm a big, almost 300-pound dude who met her homeless, got engaged, barely homeless because I had just moved into my own place, still using food stamps. I was only a teacher making a minimum salary, didn't have anything beyond a bachelor's degree, and yet she saw her future with me, right? She knew that she could be a better her by being with me, and she gave me an opportunity to be a better me by choosing to stay with me. And it blows my mind. So when I went and lost the weight, one day she said to me, she hugged me and said, did you know I was never able to put my arms around you? And it blew my mind. And I look at back, I look at our wedding picture. It was two years, we'll be married two years on uh, July 14th, this Tuesday. I couldn't believe that she was right. She never was able to put her arms around me. And the one thing that came to mind, which is bad, but it's the only thing I could think of, you really loved me even though I looked like this? Because I know it's way more than how you look. I get that. But she just saw good in me. She saw hope in me. She saw life in me. She saw love in me. And getting my master's wasn't her idea, but she encouraged me to do it. Going to school for my doctorate wasn't her idea, but she gave me the will and the power and the encouragement to know that I could do it. Like I'm grateful for her because I wouldn't be here Literally, if it weren't for her pushing me in ways that I wasn't comfortable with, you know, we wouldn't be getting to year two if year one was uncomfortable the way it was. But we learned a lot. I've learned to, you know, realize that, yes, while the wife, I don't believe in that whole happy wife, happy life either. I believe in happy house, happy spouse, happy house, right? Our goal is to not only try to, my goal is not to please her so that way she walks around high and mighty. My goal is to please her so that in turn she'll want to please me. And then it's a cycle that never ends. And now we live in a space where we can invite people in our home and they know that love happens here. That's what I want. But I'm grateful for her. And then finally, I'm grateful for every kid, past, future, and present. I get an opportunity to serve. Because they're, they're going to be the true change agents in this world. They're going to be the people who truly have an opportunity to end racism. 
to end sexism, to men who can go into a community where they hear a woman say no and they leave it at that, where the woman doesn't fear her life because she said no to a date. You know, I believe we'll be in a position where we can have a, through the kids that I lead and through the kids that I teach, one of them might become the president, you know, and they won't tell us that we only got two options, bad and worse, but they'll remind us of a third option, better, right? And whatever that might look like, I believe my current past or my future kids, they're going to be the ones who are going to be that change. And for that, I'm grateful because I'll know, A, I had a part in that, but B, I always tell them, I can't teach them anything. I just expose them to what's already in there. And I, I'm grateful for them allowing me to expose who they really are, which is greatness. My kids are greatness. <laughs> you have just touched on so many amazing topics and things, and I feel like I have so many more questions that I want to ask you. But you're a busy man, and you have a tight schedule, and right now you are going through two weeks of intensive classes for your doctorate. Um, and then eventually you're going to be going back to school, whether it's online or, uh, or from, uh, from the classroom. Right. Um, before we, we wrap up, I do just kind of want to touch on uh, that weight loss journey because we, we've just briefly, we've briefly touched on it, but you have come so far. And I just want to know a little bit about, um, you know, your health and uh, what you're doing now to make sure that you are staying healthy so that you can be around for those kids and Absolutely. for your wife and for those people that you're supporting and you are doing such a good job of encouraging because I don't know what I would do without you. What would all of these kids do without you? What would she, what would your wife do without you? Like, oh man. So tell me a little bit about that journey. So in 2018, April the 4th, I was rushed to the hospital on a stretcher while teaching an A38 class because they thought I was having a heart attack. And two things came to mind while I was in the emergency room with my wife, my girlfriend at the time, fiance. One, if I claim to love her the way I say I love her, how am I going to love her forever if I'm not here? And two, if I claim to love these kids the way I say I love these kids, how am I going to love them if I'm not here? Hopefully, or you would have thought that was the end all be all and I was going to get my life together. Well, I did not. <laughs> May happen and I was continuing on the same path. But I remember Mr. Biggs coming to my concert and he took a picture with me. And he told me how proud of me he was and how much he loved me. The problem was the picture he took, as happy as he was with it, I was embarrassed by it. Because, is that me? <laughs> Do I really look like that? Did I really let myself get to that point? I looked sick. I looked defeated. I looked, I looked sad. I looked hurt. Right. I, I started to look like my past, you know, in a sense that like you could tell the weight had just built on for years well you know i did a green smoothie cleanse lost a couple of pounds i felt like ooh, i'm two pounds lighter i feel great <laughs> and honestly it was enough to get me on this right path long story short fast forward that's um 2018 july you know we get married we go on our honeymoon i decide i want to lose a little bit of weight i lost about 25 pounds and then christmas happened and i gained everything back so January 2019, I was like, dude, you were actually on a roll. You can do this. So I started January 19, 30 pounds lighter than I had ever been, but I was still at 250. And I said, what are you going to do about this? So at this point, I've lost 30 pounds in four months, but, excuse me, in six months, but I was nowhere near my goal of being healthy. I had been taking at 1.9 pills, had been using oxygen, right? Um, lost my license from the uh, Pennsylvania Department um, uh, motor vehicle department because I had lost consciousness one day and they thought I was having seizures. They had me on medication for that. It was a lot. So January, I was like, get your life together. Let's go. So I started going to the gym. I started going kickboxing. Slowly but surely, the numbers started going down and I felt good. But one thing I'll say, as I lost the weight physically, I started to lose the weight metaphorically. There were so many things that I let go. You know, there were so many things I was able to deal with. There's so many things I was able to realize that like, hey, if you don't have control over it, don't let it have control over you. Those were like some small life lessons, all because I was hitting the gym hard. Um, I ended up losing a total of 123 pounds and I could not believe it. You know, I felt oh great. Goodness. I was, it was the best shape of my life. You know, Leslie Odom Jr. then happened. And oh, I, I guess talk, talk about 
a little bit more about that. Uh, first of all, that was the craziest thing ever happened. You know? <laughs> so, and I will say, I had joked with Salim. I had said to him, because at the time I met with him when he first told me about Leslie Odom Jr., Salim Gubril, by the way, is the executive director of the Pittsburgh Promise, an yes. organization that has just done so much for both Michael and I. And, Absolutely. Um, I will share a little bit more about that, uh, you know, in, in your story and in your bio that I put together after this episode. But go ahead and Absolutely. continue on with But Salim has done a great job. And even when he called me, it blew my mind. But he's one of those people, I'm just glad to know him, okay? So when he finally told me about Salim, I was trying to lose weight. And I, about Leslie Odom, I was trying to lose weight. And I said to him, when you see me next time, I will be smaller than him. And it was a joke, but I knew it. I was going to do it, right? And so all that to say, when Leslie Odom Jr. finally happened, oh, I went and got a custom suit, a tuxedo, fit perfectly to me. You looked so good in it. Oh, and I felt good. <laughs> I felt good. So then going in, I, my, one of my favorite moments from that day was in the sound check, singing with Leslie Odom Jr., and he got a part wrong, and they were trying to figure out the part, and I said, oh, well, and I corrected him. I don't know if it was the music teacher or me or what. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, just go ahead and you sing it. And I was like, oh, snap. This is crazy. <laughs> so then we fix it. We figure out the situation. And then my biggest thing was don't forget the words. So when it came time to actually perform, my mic, they didn't give me the right mic. Then they gave me the right mic, but the mic couldn't turn on. So then I had to go off the stage, get a different mic. And then finally I hear Michael Warren. And I was like, sing the song, boys. So I, I went for it. It was beautiful. Now, every time I hear Hamilton, see Hamilton, Every time we get to Dear Theodosia, I hear him saying in my head, now, Mr. Michael Warren. And I'm just like, oh, Leslie, you know, great experience. But fast forward, that was in November. Thanksgiving happened right after. I bought a house right after. You know, I felt good. You knew about the CD. We started working on the CD. They, we started that in November. We were finished by December 3rd. It was out by December 23rd. That was incredible. And it... It sounds amazing. It sounded like you'd been working on this album for years. And that was our hope because the big thing, anything our name is attached to needs to be attached to excellence. And I will say we titled the album A Piece of Christmas, P-E-A-C-E, and it was really a play on the reality that like Christmas is a peaceful time. And so we highlighted songs that had the word peace, one which was if I could write a magic song that everyone could sing, I'd write of love, hope, and joy and things that peace could bring. And when we sang our magic song, all hate and war would cease. If I could write a magic song, I'd write a song of peace. And it's a song I teach my fifth graders, and I teach them to love people, to offer peace, to offer hope. And then they took that and ran with it. So when we had the synagogue shooting, unfortunately, a couple years ago, they learned that. And then I had a student who was um, hearing impaired teach the sign language. Just imagine 100 kids singing about peace, signing to it on a stage blacked out oh emotional so i was like man so i had to put that i made my whole album based off of that one song and you know it was a beautiful time it truly was well, what can we expect from you next because i know you're working on another we album we are working so the guy who's doing everything he sent me a list of what he wants next so what is his name? virgil so virgil went to rogers he went to kappa with me um, as a matter of fact, I think he was one of the G20 Summit performers too when Michelle Obama was here, which is really so cool. Shout outs I know, right? Episode. I know, oh right? Oh my gosh, I love it. But Virgil, I mean, the dude is a musical genius and he happens to be my best friend. So, you know, I'm, and I'm, I may be biased, but no, seriously, if you heard the work that he's done, not only for me, but for others, he's incredible. Um, so he sent me out a uh, list of what he's looking for next. So he called it a Sunday morning album and it's almost going to be, uh, an album that honors some of the Sunday morning classics that we grew up on and some of the Sunday morning classics that kind of helped us go through life, you know, helped us, you know, get through life. So um, that was one thing he had mentioned. I had mentioned something, you know, honoring my, you know, different cultures that I'm a part of. I'm a part of the black culture, but I'm also part of the CCM culture. I've played for white churches. I went to Geneva. You know, I don't, I don't, well, I believe in a God who isn't black, white. God is God. Right. And so I believe in serving a community that isn't black, white. And again, uh, he, I serve in community. And so these are the things I've learned, especially with teaching. I, it's more than just black, white. There's, it's so much bigger. Right. And so I'm working on an album that would touch in a little bit of all of that with the music. Some would be inspirational. Some would be sacred. You know, I want to sing music that crosses you know, barriers. It's not a gospel song. You can hear it on the radio. You can hear it at a club and think, oh man, I want to do better in life. Like that's, I want that kind of music. The music that makes you dance, but also like, whoa, that was powerful. You know, that's what I'm hoping for. So 
all that to say, we have a lot hopefully coming up. But back to the weight loss, after the album was released, Christmas happened, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, then Christmas. Then I stopped going to the gym. I stopped working out. And then COVID happened. <laughs> Man, the joke was on me because I had worked hard. And then all of a sudden, COVID happens. I'm not in the gym and I'm not teaching. I'm not moving. I'm sleeping late. Oh, it was horrible. I ended up putting on a good amount of weight, okay? Now, I'll tell you, my clothes fit, technically, but like I'm not where I was. And so your question was, what are you going, how are you still, you know, staying at that point? I actually stood, started back in the gym, you know, started back to my healthy eating regimen. You know, my goal is just to remember why I did it. Did I do it to lose weight and look good? Absolutely not. I did it because I knew, A, I needed to do it to stay off medication. Really good moment is I'll share. I went to the hospital after losing all the weight. They literally two different times over the course of four months, they said, there's no reason you need any pills took me off all medication and the report used to be that by the time I was 30 I'd be on dialysis he says you have no need for anything took me off every medication and it was a blessing knowing that like I did that for me right I say my wife encouraged me I say my kids encouraged me but they can't be my only reason to do this you got to want to do this and this goes for everything in life and I think this is a great place to tie it up understanding your call understanding your purpose, understanding your goals. It has to go beyond the people who want it for you. It has to go beyond the hope that people see in you. You have to know that this is for me. And they're the re like, it's weird because this is for me, but they're the reasons why, right? I live every day knowing that I'm called to do something and that's the me part, but I'm called to serve and that's the them part and they're the why part, right? But understanding that this weight loss journey was so that I would live longer so I can love them longer. This teaching journey is so that I can educate more kids so that they can go out and become better people, right? Everything I try to do, I try to bring it back to this reality that you have to be all in. And then you gotta go get a bunch of other people to be all in and together, all in, we're gonna change this world. And while I'm trying to get back to my healthiest version of me, while we're trying to figure out what school is going to look like in the fall, while I'm trying to figure out what my dissertation topic is going to look like, I'm reminding myself at the end of the day, hey, first of all, today is a blessing. <laughs> and B, how am I going to make tomorrow really worth living for? And so I think through my understanding my call, through understanding that this life I live is for me, through for other people, you know, those are the concepts that I'm adopting so that way I can hopefully have an impact, you know, that'll be sustainable, not just something that's going to last me through the end of next week, you know, so. There's just so much power in community and gratitude. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we all just need that reminder that mm -hmm. are we checking in with ourselves? Are we being the best version of ourselves that we can be? Right. And I just absolutely love that you talked so much about all of the people in your life that are um, are, are motivating you, mm -hmm. but it's really in your heart. You know, you are the one that has to make those choices to Absolutely. act on those opportunities and to go for it. And you are doing that. And I really just couldn't have think, thought of a better way to wrap up that conversation. So thank you, Michael, so much for sitting down and doing this with thank me. Thank you for having me. Um, but just. Really quick, tell everyone where they can find you. Where can they learn more about you? So, well, and I say this jokingly, I really, I'm technically on Instagram. I'm learning how to use it still. <laughs> <laughs> Virgil created it for me. So I'm on Instagram. It's michael.j.warren. I'm on Facebook, Michael J. Warren. Um, if you want to find me somewhere, honestly, you know, you can find me really anywhere. I'm almost everywhere, whether it's singing at a local church, whether it's playing for a local wedding, whether it's teaching at a local classroom. Um, but if you want to find me, you can find me on one of those things. I'm, I love people. And especially with COVID, I love the opportunity to see other people than my wife. Like, I love her dearly. <laughs> I've seen her every day for months, okay? So if someone's like, yo, I want to Zoom call you, Zoom call me. <laughs> Zoom call me. But no, all jokes aside, um, I'm, I'm not hard to get a hold of. You know, I love people and I love to, you know, learn from people. You know, as much as I like to offer and serve, I also want to learn. So, you know, if you want to message me, if you got questions about my story, if you got questions about my weight loss journey, if you got questions about music, or if you just want to talk it up, you know, I'm all for it. I just feel so inspired and uplifted and happy and just joyful and fulfilled and energized and motivated every time I talk to you. And I just love this. If you're listening, 
Uh, please go and follow along with Michael. He's got some incredible things planned and I just can't wait to see what you do. I know you have a bright future ahead. I'm just so lucky to know you and thank you so, so much for keeping in touch and being so willing to share your story and what Absolutely. you know with me and, and with I, the world. Listen, you come from truly great stock and I'm excited to see what you know you and your husband produced years to come because oh man if they're anything close to where you are the world is going to be a better place thanks to what you've done what about you and kayla you two are a power couple and you didn't even get to touch on some of the things that she's working on oh. so i'm gonna have to have you back on yeah. the show again to to really dive into that she just took her mcat um she's doing she's research um, for maternal health uh, she works for Shadyside Hospital. She does a lot. I always say she's the smart one. <laughs> That's why I really had to get my life together because she's way smart. So I was like, at least I got to look decent next to her smartness. So I will say, and I hope she hears me when I say this, if she wants to go on and become a doctor, I will gladly be a stay-at-home father raising no kids, playing Madden and GTA all day, and I'll even clean <laughs> once a week. It is my vow to her. <laughs> And you're totally okay with her being the breadwinner. And I love that because Absolutely. why wouldn't you want your spouse to Hello. make money? To make more money. Absolutely. And you know what? I'll still even try to have an impact on the world. You know, like she's bringing in all the money. Now I can do everything. I'll spend her money. I'll do it. I, I promise you. Let her be the breadwinner. And, you know, yeah, I'll eat the bread. I'm, there's no... <laughs> There's no, uh, listen, just so we're clear, <laughs> absolutely. But I love her. She's doing a lot of great stuff. And honestly, thank you for what you share. But I think, honestly, the world needs more people like us in general, you know. And I think as long as we continue to know that this life is bigger than us and that this life will continue without us, my goal is to figure out while we're here, what can we do to make it better? So We all have certain skills and talents That's and right. God-given gifts. Mm -hmm. And when we find those and when we pursue them and when we keep going after them, and then we find other people who mm -hmm. have different gifts and exactly. different skills and we come together, oh man, it's That's where great. the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. So thank you for the magic. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Light Up. I couldn't have imagined a better way to just spend this day and I'm so so excited to share your story so thank you thank and you. everyone follow michael stay tuned i will talk to you guys soon Bye bye, bye. <laughs>